Hey, what's up, sinners and choosers? Welcome to Choose Your Own Religion. My name is Joe, and thank you so much for tuning in to our first ever live offerings episode. This is a new series that we're going to be putting out with some of our favorite stories from our live shows. And I'm still going to be doing the one-on-one interviews uh, in addition to these. That'll always be a part of the podcast. But, you know, we've been doing these live shows for the past two years or so at a couple different places. And they were these really intimate experiences. And for a while, didn't record them and didn't really see the purpose of recording them because it just felt very intimate. And I really wanted to uh, protect people's confidentiality and sort of create an environment where they felt they could say whatever they wanted about spirituality and religion, you know, totally unfiltered, totally undogmatic, um, however they felt, whatever they felt, you know, telling a true personal story, something that happened to them. But over time, people have been asking, and I felt compelled to share some of the stories that the storytellers felt comfortable sharing with the world and sharing with you. So our next live show will be on May 15th at Neighborhood Unitarian Universalist Church in Pasadena at 7.30 p.m. We'll have a mix of featured storytellers and plenty of open mic spots for you to try to tell your own story. Now, I've been doing them in the Los Angeles area, and they're going to continue on in Pasadena, but... Um, I'm also moving to Boston to go to Harvard Divinity School this fall, and I will be finding a venue in Boston, assuming that uh, people in Boston like stories. I've heard uh, at least a couple of people maybe do. If you would like to put on a live Choose Your Own Religion, just send me an email to joe at chooseyourownreligion.com, and I would be happy to work with you. You can also find old episodes and more live events at chooseyourownreligion.com, as well as on the Facebook page. So, our theme today is life support, which comes about in a few different ways. This week, we have stories about tarot readings, a New Mexico monastery, and a hospital miracle. And for this inaugural episode, they are all Los Angeles-based storytellers. And our first one today comes from Erica Blumfield. Take a listen. Please give it up for Erica Blumfield. Um, okay, so I I recently had my tarot cards read. I'm, like, always looking for things to help, like, ease anxiety, you know, whether it be hanging out with my friends or hiking or yoga or dollar store sales. <laughs> um... You know, so when my friend called and asked me, I was like, sure. Um, Also, when I was a little girl, my Aunt Anita always used to say, do you want your palm red? And I'd always be the first kid to be like, yes. And then she'd take her lipstick out of her bag and draw a big red circle on the palm of my hand and say, there, now your palm's red. And I, you know, enjoyed the joke throughout my childhood, but my desire to have my fortune told, like, never fulfilled. My friend and I got there early upon my suggestion, and we went to have our tarot cards read at this place where they were also, like, giving a lecture on the tarot, but they weren't trying to sell us anything, and I didn't even have to pay, so I knew it was going to be real. 
Clarice, the tarot card reader, summoned me, and we went into this cozy, study-like room with dim lighting. We sit at a small card table. She looks intensely into my eyes, and she has this really, like, Stevie Nicks, witchy, cool vibe, and I really want her to like me. She explains the tarot consists of 78 cards, all with their own signs, symbols, imagery, and meaning. She says tarot allows us to connect to the magic in our lives. It helps us recognize the synchronicities, and it leads to us opening and following our intuition, our intuition. And after all, what are we all looking for? We're looking for meaning. I dig. I like this. She hands me the cards and instructs me to shuffle while I think of a question and really set my intention on those cards. So I'm shuffling and my mind is racing. I'm like, okay, so I'm a person. I'm a friend. I'm a teacher. I'm a writer. Um, I'm a lover, but I don't want to ask about a guy. I'm 43. I finally know don't waste your question on a guy. (laughs) Right? Thank you, thank you. Um, so, so, I, and then Clarice is waiting. So I just, I hand her the cards back and she raises an eyebrow and she says, hmm, I think you should shuffle again. I don't believe you set your intention. I'm like, she's so real. This is amazing. So I shuffle the cards again and I'm just thinking to myself, what do I most need to know now? at this time of my life? Well, the truth is, what I always want to know is that I'm not going to lose my mind and end up homeless. But that actually happened to me 14 years ago. And so, when I had become very erratic in my behaviors and my bizarre, and I had these grandiose delusions that I thought my life was a reality television show, I lost everything. I lost uh, a budding acting career. I lost my friends because I alienated them. I lost the boyfriend. And... It took a long time to get better, right? So anyhow, I look for light. And here I am in this room having my cards read by witchy Clarice. And uh, I hand the cards back to her, and this time she's satisfied, and she pulls the first card, and a big smile breaks across her face. I'm like, yeah! She says, the Queen of Wands. Now this card has stands for some key words or determination, courage. She says, look at you there, sitting on your throne. I said, oh, okay. She said, you have worked hard to get there. You are stable on your throne, and nothing and nobody is going to knock you off. And no matter what adversity you faced in the past, and no matter what adversity you face in the future, you're solid. 
I feel tears welling up in my eyes. Obviously, I'm sensitive. And um, she throws the next card. And it's the world card, like the universe. And it's holding me up. It's holding the Queen of Wands up. And she explains that the world has got my back. That's so good to know. <laughs> it's always so scary out here. She says, you live life. You're like, yeah, life, bring it on. And you're not alone. You can keep living this way. The next card, the magician, my past. She says, oh, this was an interesting past. She said, but everything you've been through and all those rabbits you've pulled from the hats, they matter. My future card, and I'm not bragging, <laughs> was, is like the most, like the highest uh, enlightenment card that there is. It's the hermit. And at first I was like, oh no, I'm 43, I'm single, maybe I should have asked that question about the guy. I'm going to be a hermit. <sighs> but it actually means that I will live my life in service. And to me, that's religion. Yeah, I'm going to leave it at that. Thanks. <laughs> So that was Erica Blumfield. Thank you, Erica, for sharing your story. Our next story comes from Rex McDaniel, who uh, you'll hear him allude to in his intro, how he has some weird life parallels uh, to me and you know my father, who's a Presbyterian minister. And I'll just verify that that much is, is true, what he's saying. And uh, I'll let him tell the rest of his story. But Rex runs a storytelling show called The Otter Story Hour here in Los Angeles, so please check that out if you're in the area. Here's Rex McDaniel. So some of you know Joe was raised in the household of a Presbyterian minister and uh, went off and became a stand-up comedian in L.A., and I was formerly a Presbyterian minister, and my son went off to L.A. and became a Presbyterian minister. I'm basically Joe's father, West. <laughs> This same guy. In the middle of my career, felt the need for a sabbatical, for a rest, to take a big trip. I lived in Maryland at the time, and I decided to take a trip across the country. I came under the influence of a woman named Kathleen Norris. Did any of you ever read Kathleen Norris? She wrote a book called Dakota, and it's about her spiritual awakening. She was a poet. She got drawn to the family home in South Dakota and opened up as a spiritual person, a leader in that community. And she got involved with Benedictine monks. And she really pitches Benedictines and their spirituality and being in their midst. And so I thought, okay, I'm gonna, part of this trip, I'm gonna go to a Benedictine monastery. There's one in New Mexico. It's called Christ in the Desert, New Mexico. It's in uh, the part of New Mexico where Gloria O'Keefe was and, and drew 
that part of New Mexico. And so I arrived there for my week with the Benedictines and moved into my little cell in the guest unit. And the first day began in the rhythm of the community and went to Mass. First thing in the morning is Mass. And understandably, the, the Protestants aren't welcome to the Mass, <laughs> aren't welcome to partake in communion. I, I was a little alarmed. One person made bold to step forward, and the priest went like this. And so, whoa, that's a, that's a pretty powerful gesture of stand back. <laughs> But I was willing to, I expected that, I imagined that. As we got into the rhythm of it, Benedictines uh, spend the day in silence. They don't talk uh, through the day, and they eat very simply. A lot of vegetable soup out there in New Mexico, not uh, much in the way of dining. And after dinner, there was a room just off the common room, a little library, and I went in there to read the first night. And all the brothers got together in the adjacent room. And for an hour after dinner is when they talk. And I could hear them in the room next door. And they're telling stories and laughing. I, I couldn't make it out. But every once in a while, the place is exploding in laughter. And man, do I feel alone. And I go back the next night, Tuesday night, and... They're involved in there. While I was there, or they expect all guests who were there to pitch in, help with the community's work. And during the time I was there, they were under construction. And they had a couple of carpenters who were helping build new buildings on the site. And I love construction work, and so I said, well, that, that's what I'll do to make my offering to the community. And so throughout the days, those first few days, uh, I worked with these carpenters, sawing, hammering, measuring, all, just all the stuff we do. And I enjoyed it very much. And on Wednesday, one of them says, hey, you want to come to our trailer tonight? And I said, yeah, man, I'd love to. And he said, well, just follow the path. And you'll hear the generator. There's no electricity at this particular place. It's all solar, but they're guests. They're staying on the campus from Monday through Thursday. He said, just listen to the generator. You'll be able to find us. So sure enough, I make it down the path. I hear the generator, and I come to the door. I knock on the door. Come on in, Rex. Hey, come on in. Hey, you want a beer? I said, yes, God, I'd love a beer. Well, go get one in the fridge. When I got in the kitchen, they go, and there's some bologna in there, too. You want a bologna sandwich? I said, yes. They go, these goddamn monks, you know, that I don't know how they eat. I said, man, how great. I got my bologna sandwich and my beer, and I made it back to the front room of this trailer, and we sit down, and one guy was an Anglo guy, and one guy was Native American, ponytail down to his waist. And out comes their stories. Who are you? What are you doing? Well, I'm a Presbyterian minister in midlife and thought I'd get away. How about you guys? And they both were ex-convicts. They both were involved with drugs in their 20s, got sentences, 
served four or five years, came out. They're now in their mid-30s. They've met a woman. They both have families. They're trying to keep their lives together. They serve, they make, put, come together in this little carpentry business. They've gotten this job, so they work here from Monday to Thursday. They hustle back uh, to Santa Fe, and uh, Saturday, or Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, they work other jobs. They're working seven days a week. Just keep it together, keep their families going. And we finished up the conversation, and I walked back to my cell, and I said, oh, my God. There's the communion. There's the body broken, and the life poured out, and shared together. It's beer and bologna. <laughs> and it couldn't have been more sacred. And it was one of the saddest moments of my life. The next day, we work all day. I say, man, it's been good working with you. Yes, it has. Safe journey, good life. Yes, you too. And they drove off to Santa Fe. Thank you. That was Rex McDaniel. Thank you again to Rex for telling your story. And finally, our last storyteller of today's episode is Ashton Clark. Take a listen. It was about 4.30 in the morning when I got in my car to take a long weekend in Oakland visiting a girlfriend of mine who was visiting there from St. Thomas. Um, my sweetheart of four years, Mario, called me uh, before I hit out, head at, headed out to pray over me as there was very little that either one of us did, either solely or as a couple, that we didn't pray for each other. It was about maybe eight hours later. I don't remember because I followed my cousin's advice and I used Waze instead of Google Maps. So I got a little turned around by the time I got off the highway. But I did get to um, Jack London Square, which is where I was staying. And so I immediately texted Mario and sent him pictures and we talked on the phone before I went to my hotel. I'd been at the hotel for just about an hour when his sister called me and asked me if I had heard from the hospital. Uh, 15 minutes later, I did hear from the hospital. Mario, who had um, suffered from epilepsy from the time that he was a child, had had a really bad seizure leaving the gym. Uh, the paramedics came. They were able to get his heart restarted because it had stopped, but then in the ambulance it had stopped again, and they were not able to bring it back that time. So my three-day weekend changed into basically a turnaround, and I left first thing the next morning to go back to L.A. When I got to the hospital, sister was there, his daughter was there, Lots of family and friends were there, and I was kind of shocked because I expected him to look shriveled and pale and dying, but he didn't. He looked 
husky and okay, even though there was um, a respirator attached to him. But I found out later that his kidneys were shutting down and his body was filling with fluids and waste and that was why he still had this husky look. After three days, the family, um, basically his daughter, Elena, and his sister, Lupe, decided that it was time to shut off the life support. So um, we gathered together, and there were about 15, maybe 20 family members in the room with us, and they asked me to say a prayer before we turned everything off. So I was near the foot of the bed, and his sister was towards the head of the bed, and family was gathered around, and um, I read some scripture, and we prayed, and before they removed the equipment, I made a point to ask his nurse, who had been there with him for the whole time, would we see anything? You know, will he jerk? Will he take a last breath? You know, we didn't want to be shocked, and she said no, in her experience, since it had been such a long time that he'd done anything on his own, we should expect to see nothing. We would know when he was gone, but there wouldn't be any visual evidence that we could pinpoint. So they removed the machine. They turned everything off. I really can't tell you how much later it was. It could have been 30 seconds, might have been a minute. But Mario's arms that were before at his side, he was encased in a quilt that his mother had made many years ago. When I looked down, one of his arms was at his stomach instead of being down where it was before. And I kind of shook my head. I said, well, maybe I'm mistaken. But then his other arm went to his stomach. And then both of his arms slowly started raising up. His sister ran over to me and she screamed, is he going to Jesus? Is he going to Jesus? And I laughed and I said, yes, he is. And his arms stayed up for, I don't know, 10 seconds, I don't know. And then slowly, just as slowly and deliberately, they went back down. Everyone in the room, of course, was speechless, especially our nurse. We had had prayer warriors on both coasts um, in entreating for Mario. And after seeing this, I could make the hour drive home from Torrance to Pasadena. I was so excited. As I was driving, I was calling everyone I knew, California, overseas, New York, to tell them about what had happened. When I got home, even though I was by myself, it was like this thing, this miracle that we were allowed to see that our God was, was there even at the end. This thing just carried me for days. It was enough to get me through days. But several months later, it wasn't enough anymore. Um, up to a year later, it wasn't enough anymore. The girls and I, meaning his daughter and sister, had planned to go to Mexico to put his ashes into the family crypt, and I would be introduced to many, many other family members. 
And up until two or three weeks before the trip, although I had a year, I didn't know if I would go. I didn't think I could handle it. But I did go. And at one of the dinners with maybe 50 people, 49 of them all speaking Spanish, and not me, only English, one of the cousins asked, through my translator, his sister, asked Ashton to tell the story of what happened at the hospital. So I did, and one of the family translated into Spanish for me. And just retelling it and seeing everyone's reaction and knowing that, just like at the hospital, here too, there was, I know at least one person who needed to hear this. Maybe it was a bolster to their faith, whatever that faith was. Maybe it was just something that makes it a little, a little bit easier, just a tiny bit easier when we lose somebody who is so, so dear and so, so close. And I can't sugarcoat it. On some days, it's not enough, not enough at all. The missing and the longing and the yearning and, of course, the whys. But some days, just reliving that experience is enough to get me through. Thank you. So that concludes our first ever live offerings episode. Thank you for listening. Once again, go to chooseyourownreligion.com or find us on Facebook to find old episodes and future events. And if you would like to put on a storytelling show, please email me at joe at chooseyourownreligion.com. I love you. Thank you for being who you are. Hey. Whoa. Stop. Hey, now, I know what you're thinking. This is an advertisement, and I want to hit that little button that goes forward 15 seconds. Don't you dare. Don't you dare. We got to tell you about our podcast, TV Tunes. It's great, and you're going to love it. I'm David. I'm John. We host a podcast uh, where every week a new guest comes and talks about their favorite cartoon from their childhood. Yeah. Join us on Campfire Media as we become your new favorite podcast. It's going to happen. Now you can fast forward because we're done, right? Yeah. The other podcast you're listening to. Whoa. <laughs> Campfire.